How pregnant are you? It's coming in August. And you have three other kids under six already. You're a brave woman. <laughs> it's a party. You got to make your own friends in COVID. <laughs> Literally make your own friends. Some people make sourdough. Some bake them in the personal oven. You got your own fun <laughs> in the oven. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today we have two special guests, and they are both involved in the wonderful organization that is Fast and Female. Fast and Female is a Canadian charity on a mission to keep self-identified girls aged 8 through 14 healthy and active in sports. Fast and Female believes in the power of positive sport experiences and role models to give girls leadership, teamwork, and resiliency skills. Chandra Crawford, an Olympic gold medalist and three-time Olympian in cross-country skiing, founded Fast and Female in 2005, before she qualified for her first Olympics. She has an MBA from the University of Calgary and lives in Calgary with her husband, Jared, their three, soon to be four, kids under the age of six, and their golden retriever, Stella. Gabby Estrada is the program director for Fast and Female and a soccer coach. She is the proud daughter of immigrant parents from Guatemala and took a shining to soccer at a young age. She is currently pursuing a Master's of Science at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. Her research focuses on the intersections of race, gender, and age, looking at the movement-based experiences of racialized women in Scarborough, Ontario. In this conversation, we get to hear Chandra and Gabby's stories, as well as all things Fast and Female, its conception, its mission, and the impact it has on girls and women across North America. We learned so much during this conversation with these two inspiring women. We hope you do too. Hello. Hi. Oh, you have a t-shirt on. That's so cool. With pride. Awesome. <laughs> and some matching earrings too, I think. Oh yeah. I've got my favorite earrings on Holy too. Crow. Well, we will just dive right in. We kind of set a bit of an agenda for today because I know that both of your stories and Fast and Female all can overlap. So we thought we'll get both of your stories first, and then we'll talk about the beautiful organization that is Fast and Female. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So Chandra, you are a fellow Albertan, born and raised in Canmore, right? That's right. Can you please tell us how you got into sport and specifically cross-country skiing? Definitely born into it. And if I'd been born somewhere else, I would have done something else. But in the town of Canmore, where we have the venue left from the 1988 Winter Olympics that were in Calgary. I grew up in the Olympic legacy venue and had the highest caliber possible of athletes around me all the time. And the national team based there and had great role models and absolutely supportive town. So it could not have been more perfect. Awesome. Did your whole family cross country ski? Yeah, my family's really chill. They just like to hike and kayak and just oh, be fun. out in the mountains and skied. We telemarked and downhill skied. Oh, fun. And cross-country skied. And then just being in that environment and having the competitive switch on yeah. was what all kind of came together because I love it. It's a family thing. It's fun. My parents don't care about my results at all. Mm-hmm. And they would never even really look at them. So then it was just all able to be totally intrinsic. Oh, that's awesome. And that's a beautiful world-class location. Some of the best cross-country skiing in the world. And now you have this chill environment, a family environment of play and fun. And you get to be mentored and coached by some of the best people from the legacy of the Olympics. It's pretty ridiculous. When I read Malcolm Gladwell Outliers, I was like, oh, wait, I'm just like the stars aligned. Mm-hmm. Just a product of the perfect thing at the right time. But there's a bit of luck and opportunity for sure. Some privilege in there. And yeah. you have this, this privilege that you get. But I'm guessing there's also some fun. What did activity and sport mean to you? Not just privilege of it, but what did it do for your heart? 
that was just something I love to do to push my limits. That's what's most exciting to me is get out beyond my comfort zone and see what happens. Was there anyone specific that inspired you? Yep. Sarah Renner and Becky Scott and the national team were totally instrumental. They were so incredible. I really absorbed what they said and took it really to heart. And I remember writing down in my journal, well, the Olympians said to dream big, so I better do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's epic. On my 18th birthday, I got to ski behind Becky at a training camp and I could keep up with her for two strides. And I was just euphoric. That was the best birthday. Yes, two strides. (laughs) Possible. Yeah. What an opportunity to get to follow those strides at all. Oh, amazing. I'd love to get to know Gabby. You are a huge part of the Fast and Female story, and we'd love to hear your story and how you came to be connected to Fast and Female. So starting at the beginning. I was born and raised in Scarborough, which is a borough of Toronto in Ontario. My family's from Guatemala, so I am a first-generation Canadian, the eldest of three, which is great, especially when it comes to being a child of an immigrant, as that also meant my first language was Spanish, but it also means that a lot of my sports story is greatly influenced by my parents' culture and kind of what it was like back home. So my first sport was baseball. It was t-ball. I despised it. (laughs) And it's because my dad played for the national team back in Guatemala. So he wanted his children to also play baseball. (laughs) Living out his dreams through his children, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. I think that's probably a pretty common sports story for a lot of kids is their parents are living vicariously through them. (laughs) Oh, 100%, 100%. And we're also talking about, you know, they came from a city that you couldn't walk safely in the streets, like at any point of the day. Mm. So they were excited to be in this new country. So they put my brother and I in baseball. My brother actually did go on to play at quite a high level for baseball. So at least my dad had him, which is lovely. I hated it. Takes the pressure off you. That's good. Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But it's funny being the eldest, you also paved the path for your siblings. So my brother was smooth sailing. I have a younger sister. She was smooth sailing. She was in sport as of the age of like three, whereas I didn't actually really get into soccer until I was about 12. Okay. But the reason I actually came across Fast and Female was that growing up, I really never thought about what my sporting experience was like, like my journey. I just knew it was fun. It was something to get involved in. And then in my undergrad, I really started to be cognizant and aware of the different barriers and experiences that many individuals face when it comes to accessing sport or even just being a part of it. Scarborough is an incredibly diverse community here in Toronto. 72% of our population identifies being visible minorities and over 50% of the population are immigrants. So we are a plethora of racial, ethnic, religious identities, citizenships, immigrants, refugees. And all of a sudden I'm like, look at all these different experiences of what's going on with sport. And depending on your social identity, it makes a huge impact into what your experience is like. And I was really interested in girls and women at the time, being a young woman and having coached and ran programs. So I thought, you know what, this is crap. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of barriers. There's a lot of issues. You know, what can I do? So I literally just started Googling girls in sport and looking Mm -hmm. for organizations and came across Fast and Female, joined as a role model and kind of never looked back and was really fortunate to see that it was a national organization that was doing things in my own home to be able to see in the larger city, to be able to be specifically in Scarborough and see Fast and Female. And then I was like, hey, I want to stay involved. So I'm like, here's my resume. I found something good. I found some belonging and it's resonating with your heart. And hey, can I do some more? Can't shake me now. (laughs) Exactly. I started as a role model in 2017 and then came on board as a contractor in 2018 and have been as a staff for almost three years at this point. Awesome. So your sport is soccer and you coach soccer now, right? Yes. How did you get into coaching? 
You know what? That's actually a really good story. So I got into coaching by accident. The reason I got into coaching is because financially growing up was a little difficult at times. And, you know, playing sport is not cheap, even though there are sports that are a little more accessible than others. But I had joined a young women's league. It was one of the first times I was playing in a girls only or women's only environment. And it just kept getting more and more expensive. I think I was 18 at the time. And we had been friends with the organizer of the league and I hadn't registered as of yet. And he had sent me an email and he said, you know, what's going on, Gab? Like, are you registering or not? His name is Richard Husbands. To this day, I owe him so much. I said, Richard, my, my parents can't afford to register me. I can't play this year, you know, maybe next year. And he said, okay, how about this? I'll make you a deal. If you coach mm-hmm. one of the girls, the U12 girls team, I will cover the cost of your registration. Wow. But I need you to commit to coaching. I said, Richard, I, I'll be there. I'll be there. Oh, wow. First time coaching. I was terrified. Uh, and, you know, local organizations, a lot of times coaches, especially when it comes to young women, like young women's leagues, your coaches are almost always volunteers. And so I came in as a volunteer, but it was cool because I came in as a young woman being a coach and I never had a coach that was a woman. Oh, wow. So I got involved. We kicked butt. We won the whole damn thing. Oh, Nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is, this is for me. I love this. Mm. So I just kept going. And honestly, I owe to Richard. He took a chance on me and he wanted just to give me an opportunity and wow. actually ended up making a huge life-changing decision. He must've seen those leadership skills in you. Oh, I think so. We bugged him like crazy. We stressed him out so much, but he <laughs> loved us. He could see the potential because my younger sister played as well. And he was like, I want these both involved. So it's amazing. But to see this obstacle of finances, a very practical like access was an obstacle for you. And then the opportunity came, somebody saw your potential and took that risk and took that step. And that opportunities probably launched you further than if you had had the funds to just join a girls club and something like that maybe ignited. Did you resonate with that statement? Oh yeah. Hugely, hugely. And you know, it's funny. I wrote, I got to send this email. I started writing him an email a few months ago just to be like, Richard, I've been reflecting on my life. You have these domino moments of little things that happen, Mm -hmm. a phone call, an email, a comment that like change your direction. And I wanted to tell him, I'm like, Richard, like I went into a career in sport and you played such a big role in that because I would have never Mm -hmm. thought of myself as a coach if it wasn't for you just saying, hey, you can't afford this. Do me this favor and I will pay you back by doing this for you. And I was like, who does that? Like, that's an amazing thing. Those are not things you hear of happening every day. And I was so lucky that it was me. And I was so lucky that it was him. Yeah, that's incredible. So Chandra, you've had some experiences in life, some successes and lows. When you're thinking back to this word obstacle and some of the opportunities that those have brought into your life, the lessons you've learned from the difficult times, what would one of those or some of those be in your life? Well, I got to go to three Olympics. And in that first games, the obstacles leading into it, made me the champion I got to be on the day because I was on the B team and the B team didn't get to travel. And every time the A team went to New Zealand or California or got new clothes, I would do an amazing day's training and stretch and nap and hydrate and visualize and just do amazing training and turn that frustration into excellence. So that was Mm. great that that happened. It was great that my knee injury happened because then I made my core so strong. It was great that in a previous race, a German athlete had pushed me over because I was really assertive then in my tactics about having lots of space and being far away from people. And in that sprint final, when I won the gold, I actually did stumble with one pole, but I was in the clear because of all the tiny things. Yeah, I could not possibly have won the Olympics from the A-team. I'm sorry to say I would be waving the flag, wearing the clothes, taking selfies in New Zealand. (laughs) So 
it worked out for the best. And then later in my career, even worse times of like identity and confidence loss. Mm. And in my late twenties, going into my third games, everything fell apart for me on my personal life. And I developed bulimia for a year, which was crazy because I'd created fast and female to help young women and girls so yeah. it was really tough realizing we're not immune it can happen yeah. to all of us that stuff's pervasive like mm -hmm. it's just so around us in the culture and it was such a male-dominated team and just took some stuff on the body image side which was really too bad and it's weird when you're in it like for me i knew it's like you just know you're gonna ski slow this is how this works but it's so strong when it's by the time you want to stop doing it it's like taking hold i haven't even got the voice down for how i talk about it i'm like you i <laughs> it's it's hard but through that i realized my identity is not my results not my body image not even my place on the canadian ski team not being an olympian like i'm something so much bigger than all of this and really an energy and a presence and i read mm -hmm. the power of now uh, by eckhart tolle and yeah. i meditated my brains out and i did psychology and I took antidepressants and i did everything and i have this inner peace now that feels often it feels mm. like a thousand gold medals i'm just so grateful for those hard times and there's still you know, compared to a lot of hardships manageable, but it made me a way better person. And those experiences make you even more relatable to all these girls and women that you're reaching. I didn't really start talking about it tons publicly until the last few years. And one mm. of the Fast and Female board members was like, people are texting me like, hey, isn't sports great? What, are you, what is your story now? And I was like, you guys have never heard that there's body image issues in sports? Mm. At Fast and Female, we're looking for that positive sports experience. We're yeah. looking for we the adults to create environments that are safe and healthy for athletes of all ages. Yeah. I want to acknowledge your vulnerability and your openness to share. I believe that vulnerability in safe places leads to connection and growth. And so if we can create these safe places for these women, for people who are coming up for the new generation, that vulnerability with unsafe people will lead to abuse and hurt and pain. So I know there's some trepidation and, and worry in what you say. But I do want to acknowledge that you speaking your truth and your voice makes you more relatable. Thank you. And those are the role models that we're all needing. And I would like all of my nieces to have role models like you who aren't just saying everything's fine. But here are the real issues that can happen to all of us. And here's how you right. get through them. It's beautiful. Thank you. That's so, so helpful. And thinking of like keeping your nieces in mind, there's always some young lady in your life and everyone listening to the podcast in your life who you need to bring to mind when you think about the value of sport for girls, what we can all do, the experience you want them to have, the equity we want to bring to this world mm. and the safe spaces to be vulnerable and be ourselves is huge. We work with a psychologist named Tasha Belix, B-E-L-I-X. Mm. She is epic. Once you see her, you will pin her posts to come at you every time you log on to anything. She's a really incredible psychologist who writes our curriculum. And she says that's the major thing is, I don't want to hear the gold medal story anymore, buddy. Yeah, I want to hear this, the tough times, and that's yeah. going to help the girls a lot more. Yeah. And even when I was initially approached about attending a Fast and Female event, I legitimately responded back, I think you're confused. I'm not an Olympian or Paralympian. It's it's Lowell that he's the one that's aiming for the Paralympics, but thanks. Thank you. Anyways, I just kind of totally, she's like, no, 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 no. We're talking, we're talking to you. I just thought that was so cool because I'm not an Olympian or a Paralympian, but I am active and I believe in the power of sport as well, but I'm a normal person. So I think that's also cool for the girls to see. That is the biggest deal. Yeah. Gabby works with our academic partners that really were like, Hey guys, <laughs> let's get some relatable role models here. Okay, so on a practical level, 
how many people work for Fast and Female? Like how many are employed, first right. of all, and the different roles? Because I didn't realize there was a psychologist. So that's super cool. Yeah, we do everything in partnership. Even Every event is hosted by partners and then each station is run by partners like you would have experienced at the event. And then there's funding partners and then staff wise. We have a new CEO, Shanaz Gokul, who's a human rights advocate who just came on in the last six weeks. I just saw that message. Weeks. Awesome. Oh, so exciting. And her charity experience and chops and direction and everything that she stands for means the world to us and her stories of not getting to do sports, but her brothers did. Ah. So cool. So she's our CEO, but I think the full-time equivalent is still probably only three to four people okay. spread across eight. No one can really do a full 40-hour week, but that's because we're power women doing a bunch of awesome things. Gabby's yeah. doing her master's in coaching and has another oh. not-for-profit and we all have super full lives. But across the country, we've been remote the whole time keeping the costs incredibly low. We're so nimble. We can execute these events turnkey anywhere. We did anywhere in North America. And now we're just focused on Canada. Oh, awesome. So the staff is this little crew, but the extension of that is you, Julie, and the role models who we have over 700 in the network, active wow. in any year, 200 to 300. Wow. And a few less in the virtual world. We're in our second year of blazing virtual obstacles into opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody's business and still keeping a very similar vibe of like when you went to the event, it would have been a ratio of maybe eight girls for every one role model and yeah. trying to keep that tight because that's what they care about the most is getting to hear from you. Yeah. And I don't know if they did it on purpose, but in my group, when I last did it in 2019, the last time there were <laughs> in-person yeah. ones, I had a visually impaired girl in my group and my husband is also visually impaired. So yeah, I awesome. have no idea if they planned it that way, but it was very appropriate. And she had seen us speak before and it was fun to connect with her and encourage her. Amazing. When you plan something, sometimes there's this something bigger than us that happens, right? Who attends, how they attend, and even how you pivot through a pandemic and who can attend an event that may not have been able to attend otherwise. Exactly. I think, Gabby, for you to have had those experiences, to come from something that wasn't accessible to you, how do you see that in the lives of immigrants and those with less? How do we help them? I think the first step is you have to acknowledge that as wonderful as sport can be, it's also really horrible at the same time. Like, I think we pretend that sport is this really amazing thing and it can be, but the culture, the system, there's so many issues with the way it's being run in terms of safe sport, lack of safe sport. And I think, especially when you think of girls and women. So if we look at gender first, so think of girls and women in general, you have to acknowledge that sport was built by boys and men for boys and men. There was a point in time where girls and women couldn't participate or where they were only allowed to do certain things. If you look at even the data in Canada, the two main turning points were during World War One and World War Two, where girls and women, particularly women, started participating more in sport because the men had gone off to war. And so women were then the ones that were running the leagues and getting more involved and then playing. And then the men came back and then the women were like, whoa, we don't these guys. <laughs> but they were like, we like this, like we want to yeah. stay in it. So you look at gender first and you're like, okay, there's still a lot of issues in general. There's a, a lack of representation in so many different ways, especially when you think of at the leadership level, coaching, administratively, you don't see enough women in boardrooms, you know, in leadership positions. And we're slowly starting to change that. But then when you take an intersectional approach and you start looking at gender plus and you're talking about other social identities, so you're looking at things like race, like ethnicity, 
religion, sexuality, ability, socioeconomic status, like these are things that make people who they are or are just a part of who they are. Some of these things they don't choose, like Mm -hmm. this is just who they are. And they play a large role in the way that people navigate through the world and the way the world treats others. I think when you think of it from an accessibility level of sport and accessibility in all ways, and just being able to like find a place to be active, there's issues. And like I've mentioned, there's financial issues. There's issues of lack of representation, lack of safe spaces, being too far away. Like there's so many things. And then accessibility, if you're an individual with an exceptionality who has some kind of mobility device or need, and you don't have a space that is accessible for you, sometimes you can't even walk through the door because there's no way for you to get to the door. So I think when we're talking about creating a more inclusive and welcoming sport culture and society, and maybe it's not just sport too, maybe it's sport and physical activity. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. sport at all levels, movement at all levels. That intersectional approach is, is probably one of the first things that we really need to do. And also like not making assumptions. I think when you're looking at equity deserving groups and those that are facing various barriers is you can't make assumptions. You have to be able to create opportunities to co-create and collaborate with these communities. Mm. It's not just about being like, hey, what do you want? It's about being like, okay, let's think about what we have here. Like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Or what can we do? It's a conversation. When we think about it at Fast and Female, we took the first step. We started with gender. But we were also limited by geographical location, by finance. Like if we had an event that cost $65, anyone that can't afford $65 for a one-day event, which Mm -hmm. can be a very high cost, like Mm -hmm. that's probably half to a third of what you might pay for a 10 to 12-week season in some areas. So now we're asking you to pay that much for a day. We have to be the ones to figure out how do we make it more accessible for you, not how do you find the money to be able to attend this event. And then you think of so many other things. You know, if I'm a young girl of color and I walk into a fast and female event and it's all white women, Mm. that's saying something to me. It's saying I'm othered. That is a horrible feeling. And we just don't want that for girls. We don't want that for girls of color. We don't want that for black girls, indigenous Mm. girls, girls with disabilities. And it's a big ask, but we're also here willing to take that on and figure out, okay, what do we got to do? I've been so impressed with your guys' intentionality from the posts that I've seen about being inclusive with all those things like Black Lives Matter, trans, even how you include on the website the statement about it's self-identifying girls. Mm. And that brings to mind how you are so open about changing the way you spelled women, trying to be inclusive with the X, but then realizing, oh, actually that is, and then just like owning it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I think it was a really big learning lesson. We thought we were doing something that was inclusive and we kind of did it on instinct. The thinking behind women with an X is that the X signifies intersectionality. And so it signifies that we're thinking beyond gender, Mm. but that was an assumption on our end. So we did that. I think it was late last year in around December of 2020. And then March, 2021 comes around. It's International Women's Day. It's Women's History Month. And a lot of conversations came up on social media about spelling women with the X. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that originally, I think it was back in the 70s or 80s where that spelling came into play. And the idea was to make the spelling more inclusive for trans and non-binary individuals. But then trans and non-binary individuals came back and said, you know, you're making this assumption for us. Like, Mm -hmm. we just want to be known as women or just as who we are. And you're assuming that we now have to have this special spelling 
So it's not fair for us to make that assumption if as cisgendered women at the table were talking on behalf of a community that we do not represent. You know, and I think when it comes to that spelling, if you're an individual that chooses to identify as that spelling, that's one thing. You choose what you identify as, but for us to impose that on you, that's where it becomes a problem where we're saying, oh, this is the way we're going to spell it because this is what we think you identify as, but that is not the case. So it was a big learning. And like you said, Julie, you can't do these things under the table. Like it's actually so dangerous. So why not take the opportunity to call ourselves out, but then to also educate our community. Hey, let's, let's teach you about this. Yeah. Yeah, That's how I learned about it. So thank you. (laughs) So Lowell, do you want to go into your little, little game here? Yeah. Words mean a lot. And actually, I wish we were having this conversation in person. I feel your hearts through the Zoom. Your passion is palpable and I love it. And I love what you're doing. And Gabby, you are so articulate. You know your stuff and I love it. I'm, I'm just sitting here in awe. So I'm learning a lot from you guys. Thank you for the work you're doing. One of the things I like to do is find out people's mindset. And I'm a psychologist by trade. That's kind of what I do too. But I'd like to hear how you define things. So this is inspired by Fred Penner. So Fred Penner, we grew up with him. And he had this word bird to define words, to teach Canadian kids how to spell and and what words meant. So we're going to play a little clip from Fred Penner. And then we're going to jump into our own. You might remember this because you guys are from a similar era as us. Do you remember Fred Penner? Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Do you remember this? Oh, Gabby, you're too Gabby's, young. Gabby's you're like, no, no. <laughs> Sesame Street? Maybe. No. You just taught us some stuff. Now let us teach you some stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's Fred Penner and his word bird. Word bird. Okay, partners, send down the word. Hup, hup. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, see what the word is today? See what the word is today. So this little bird would drop down a word. So we're going to go back and forth between the two of you. We want a definition of what these words mean to you. It's not pop quiz or anything. You're going to ace it because these words actually come from your TED Talk and from words that mean a lot to you and they're defining terms of fast and female. So (laughs) just how, what these words specifically mean to you and how you conceptualize them. Okay. Chandra, dream. The word dream is immediately calling to mind shooting for something bigger than I think possible, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And in French, it's se dépasser, like to overtake yourself, which is such a beautiful way to put it. And what I love about that, it's so cheesy, but it's like the shoot for the moon land among the stars thing, but it's so awesome. And for me, it's so fun. I wouldn't have done those 13 years, especially because I won the gold, like in the first games. Why did I go to the other two Olympics? Because it's just so fun pushing your limits. And trying and failing and getting back up again. And the psychology of dream big is built in with perseverance for me. The striving. Love the it. dream is powerful. Yeah. The dream is powerful. Gabby, relatable. Ooh, I think that means many different things to many different people. But I think it's something or someone that you can see yourself in, see yourself looking like, doing can be as simple as likes and hobbies or like relatable image and dreams and goals. Like it's something that you see that and you're like, I feel like that is a part of me as well. Mm. Lovely. Okay. Back to you, Chandra. Learn to learn. What does that mean to you? In my top three values, growth learning is number one. I'm so into it. I'll often put it above family. Like I can just love growth and learning so much. It's unbelievable. So the true drive for that has really fueled me. And I think it sometimes looks outwardly like perseverance or determination. When I did a leadership survey, you know, where you 360 around you and ask others their view of you to try and get that clear picture. And everyone's like, oh, you're so determined. You're really like dog on a bone and really hanging on there. 
But to me, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like learning because every day I show up to work and we have tons of things to resolve and challenges and opportunities. So learning is just everything to me. Boom. Growth mindset. Love it. Yeah, that's Obsessed. very much Lowell as well. And even when you rattled off those books yeah. that you read, I'm like, yeah, that's what Lowell does too. Yes, Carol Dweck. I once bought 40 oh. copies of Carol Dweck for an office of one of my great oh. sponsors. So good. It's hard to do with your kids, hey? It, like, well, oh, Lowell has, he rides his bike for one to four hours every day and he listens to podcasts or audiobooks on double speed during that time. So that's when he gets all his... Oh my knowledge in yeah i can't i walk in the graduate i just hear like my brain doesn't process it at that speed but he's used to it and so he he's always absorbing knowledge like that i'm a sponge wow. yeah lifelong learning it's a core value for me as well we have a parenting coach a sleep coach a marriage counselor my own therapist we're very privileged to buy lots of expertise and I need a dog trainer now, though. My dog's a disaster. Is it a, is it a puppy? <laughs> She's six years old. Oh. <laughs> and a golden retriever? Yeah, a very trainable breed. <laughs> so some learning, you know, yeah. but yeah. that's awesome. Well, that you're just, we'll have to hit you up for some podcasts. Even mm. when he was younger, for some, I don't know how you had all this tech knowledge and kind of investment, like even financial kind of knowledge. When he was 12 years old, he asked his parents if he could sell his 4-H cow and invest in Apple. They said oh, no, and so we're not rich, but I'm not, I, I don't hold a grudge or anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Growth, learning. I love that. That word, we unpacked that one. That was great. Gabby, empowered. Ooh, Yeah. I think that can come from the self or from others or from an environment. So I think that's important, but I think it's this feeling of like belief of confidence of ability and just this, like I can do. And I think there's times where you empower yourself. I think for us, it's about empowering the girls. I said this the other day, Chandra and I were on a talk and it was about confidence. And it was like, how do you teach the girls confidence? And I was like, we don't teach the girls confidence. We show them that they already have it. Oh, it's just about empowering them. It's about showing them that they already have the voice, empowering them to actually use it. And so that's what I think of when it comes to yeah. empowerment. It's like unleashing all the potential that you have is empowering the girls. Mm. They have the ability to kick butt and play yeah. every sport that they want. That's awesome. It comes from within. Brene Brown exactly. often talks about this as me power, right? The power over me and that the sense of when we come together, we're not giving power over. That's what patriarchy and lots of this stuff has done is power over or the power to I'm white male privileged. I'm not going to give you some of my power instead of it's the power with let's power from within. And, and that's the beauty that can come out. I love, love that word empowered. Just giving them yeah. the opportunity to unlock it. Exactly. Mm. Okay. Chandra, back to you. Believe. Belief sounds so fluffy and airy, but I think on a daily basis, what belief feels like for me striving for the Olympics or the big efforts to make the world and sports better for young women and girls, it feels like overcoming odds against us and the negativity and finding a path. And in practical terms, it's really believing in the big why behind it. Nice. We all have a super deep drive on the why side and everyone's is different and nuanced, but the belief comes from a desire for change. Mm. And then it becomes a positive mindset for the day. And that's what belief feels like. If it was a formula, it'd be like the big why plus the positivity. This is what I define belief as. Oh, love it. Man, you guys are, I'm inspired. Good. I love it. <laughs> when you know your why, you can deal with any how. That depth. Really true. Helping people understand that belief and the, the because behind the why. So it's awesome. Okay, Gabby, the word active. 
and you can pair it however you want. <laughs> Spice and dice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that means so many different things. I think oftentimes the first thing when you think of active is kind of like movement, but it doesn't always necessarily have to be with your body, if that makes sense. I think when we talk about active at Fast and Female, we're talking about getting the girls moving, showing them why it's important to move and the fact that there's all these different ways that they can move. But I also think of active in a sense that you're actively doing something, you're actively engaged in things. And I think as an organization, active is so important to us because we're both looking at movement, but we're also Mm. looking at actively working to change things. It's not about a one and done. Like it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing journey. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to physical activity and movement is we want to show the girls that this is about lifelong involvement and a lifelong mission for us to make sure that we keep the girls moving, that we keep building these spaces, giving them all the incredible role models, elevating these role models. I see it in those two ways of like movement with your body, but like the movement in general of what we're trying to do here. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Again, uh, those multiple levels that these words can be on, this idea that I'm hearing from this a little bit too is that knowledge is easy and we know this stuff, but putting it to action, that active part of it is is difficult and helping girls to see this and and live it out. You're giving them that opportunity. But I heard in your answer to the relentlessness of it too. And like, it's not, there's really no destination. And especially if you take it to activism, which is what Fast and Female has built up over time and continues to be baby steps on the journey, but there's really no end. And it's just going to be something we're going to do every hour and every day. Perseverance, tenacity, (laughs) activism, leadership. What does that mean to you, Chandra? Chandra? (laughs) Leaders. Can't say there's a concept I love more than servant leadership because I work with Gabby and it sounds silly, but it feels like I work for Gabby when you get to hear her speak. And then you think of my role as spokesperson or fund development or connector through my network that I've made up through the Olympics. Like this is really like we're serving a population, we're serving the girls. And then within our team, we have such strong women, such strong specialties that when you come together, it's like, how can we do what you're talking about? And how can we add your amazing abilities? And that's been a blast. I can't believe you've been here three years. That's pretty crazy, Gabby. It's so tumultuous and so, I want to say precarious, but just, it's just wildly different from one quarter to the next. It's been half COVID. So it's crazy. So servant leadership is really inspiring. It's wonderful to come to work with really bright people. And if you love learning, Mm -hmm. you would love it here. It's incredible. So those are the words, real role models. And that's the real. And the last word, you were talking about it earlier, Gabby. For those who haven't heard this word before, this new conceptualization of it, I love this word. Can you unpack it for us? Intersectionality. Oh, yes. I love talking about (laughs) intersectionality. Yes. So it is a term that has become very popular in the last year, but it has been around for a little bit of time since the 80s, 90s. So it's a term that was coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw in the States. The way I like to think of the term is intersectionality is all about social identities. And so what social identities are, it's like the the puzzle pieces that make you who you are. So we all have common similarities, but we have a lot of big differences as well. So if you were to take things like your race, your ethnicity, your ability, your sexuality, your age, body size, geographical location, like all these things, socioeconomic status, class, like citizenship, just all these things. Those are the things that make you, you. And so when Crenshaw was talking about intersectionality, she brought it up because she was actually looking at a law case in the States. 
it was black women that were going and they, I believe they were suing their employer and the case came back. And what they had said was they're like, okay, you can either look at it as an instance of discrimination based on your race or an instance of discrimination based on your gender, but you can't look at it as both. And Crenshaw came back and said, no, 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 you can't look at it as just because of these women are black or because they're women, they are black women. So they are both, you have to be able to acknowledge that through those intersections of those social identities come key components and experiences and layers of discrimination and oppression and the systems that have been built in place to discriminate black people and women. So when you are both, you are facing both. So for us, when we're talking about girls, that's where we're looking at gender plus. That's why it's important to take an intersectional approach because if I have a group of young girls in front of me, that might be the only common denominator amongst them. But there might be a young girl in a wheelchair. There might be a young girl who's a new immigrant and doesn't speak English. There might be a young girl who is of a lower socioeconomic status and maybe doesn't have the finances to participate in a program. Like there's all these considerations. I said it earlier, it's a lot to take on, but it's definitely just the first step to making the sports system, the culture so much better, so much more inclusive because you're thinking about one, what systems do we need to put in place to be able to provide supports and pathways for these girls to get involved? But then it also provides pathways to leadership. It's about intersectionality at all levels, participation to front staff, to boards. And when you do it with real intention and authenticity, and it's not a tokenistic approach, and you work with these communities, it is a wonderful thing to and be And then a part that of. starts the whole domino effect that you experience exactly. too. Awesome. Full circle. You guys, we weren't grading that or anything, but nailed it. Nailed the word bird. (laughs) Chandra, I do want to ask you about developing fast and female. You did that in 2005 before you even qualified for the Olympics. Yeah, and I've been pointing to this a lot because I'll often talk to other people who are trying to start up their organizations and how did you do it type stuff now that it's been 15 years. They might say, well, you have the gold medal. Yeah. Like that, I really like to point to, but before I had the gold medal, I started this and I would have done tons of amazing things without that gold medal too. So I just really, really believe in the power of the individual, bringing all our strengths to bear on these causes. And especially in the last year, as the social justice pandemic has taken hold just as much as COVID in our lives and just the awareness Mm -hmm. rather has taken hold and in a wonderful way that we don't want to go back to normal. We're going to stay this aware and this open going forward and make all the changes. So I just want to look at how each individual can bring all of our strengths to bear on these causes that matter so much. That's awesome. Starting before I qualified also points to how much having an identity beyond sport for a lot of your listeners who are, you know, in the trenches of their own pursuit of glory, probably having an identity beyond it. And especially if you have a brain, maybe like yours, Lowell, that likes to just chew on a million things. I can just imagine you as an athlete, if you didn't have so much more you could just fry on overanalyzing training. So mm-hmm. that was wonderful that I had fast and female at work, do my workout, work on fast and female, force myself. I remember trying to close the lid of the laptop <laughs> to take a, a nap because now yeah. such recovery. Sounds yeah. silly to complain about it, but it was so annoying. <laughs> recovery is so annoying. Yeah. You have to really want to be the world's best to actually do the recovery. Yeah. <laughs> The meeting I would get when for many years I never would break the top 40 and still having a self-worth beyond sports and making a difference for girls, that was huge for me. I would always say, what would I tell the young girls if they were having this same situation I'm in, this injury, this illness, this coach conflict, this teammate conflict, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. and that would help me reframe 
how I should deal with it. So I got a lot out of it. Well, it's obvious that you have a lot of drive. Has your vision for Fast and Female changed at all with having kids of your own? I don't think having kids of my own has transformed it as much, maybe a bit to the side of we have to do more for boys and combat toxic masculinity. And if you want to change the world, why would you only work with half the population? That's something that maybe gnaws at me, but much more powerful is just we started with the issue of gender and girls not getting the same opportunities. And there's never a female coach and there's never a woman coach and there's never the things we need to succeed in sports. And then we would be blamed like girls don't want to do sports or something, you know, that awful mindset that's such a cop out. And then I think the thing that has changed us the most though is over time learning about girls who face way more barriers and talking about intersecting identities and Gabby's life story, her own experiences in Scarborough and helping me to see beyond a really bubbly bubble of privilege called Canmore, Alberta. Love you, Canmore. (laughs) It's a really special place where everyone's an Olympian. (laughs) So crazy. (laughs) It's like, I'm the boringest one there because I only won one gold. Brian McKeever. McKeever. Yeah. And then Claire Hughes lives there. And Becky Scott lives there. So getting out into where we can make a bigger difference. Mm. In MBA school and banking, they would call it like the diffy, like the difference you can make. Okay, you can take a Chandra Crawford, help her avoid the injuries. That's awesome. Girl who has no role models, no chances, no coaches, no opportunities, and somehow bring role models to that community center and somehow ignite a fire and somehow bridge into the sport programs there because we have each station run by local clubs and present those opportunities. That's a pretty big diffy that we can make in that life. Yeah. And that's so compelling. We started doing events in partnership with Jumpstart in 2018. Nice. And once you learn what a difference can be made, that's the direction we're going. We're on a huge transition, I would say. Awesome. So I'm here and I love my wife. I love that she is a part of Fast and Female. I love what you are doing. I love the organization. And a lot of my teammates are real role models as well for Fast and Female. So I love it. What do you say to us guys? I mean, I'm white male privilege. You were alluding to this, but hey, Gabby, like how can we be a part of this? How can we be allies for what you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I want to add in something really quickly too, is that, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing this and we've we've talked about it. It's from an authentic place and not from like a savior hero mentality, because sometimes that really tends to happen is you want to help, but if you help with no knowledge and you just think, oh, this group really needs support. That's not always the case. I have a really good friend who works with MLSC, Justin Bob. He's their director of diversity and inclusion for the whole organization here in Toronto. And he said, you know, it's, it's not just about like, let's help people of color. He's like, people of color aren't just broke. Like mm-hmm. you have to be cautious of the assumptions. Well, to go back to your question, there's so many things and we do have opportunities for anyone to be a part of Fast and Female when we're doing things like our fundraiser, where we're doing like webinar sessions and opportunities to hear from our role models when we do our summit and we have an adult portion. We have our run, walk, wheel coming up where we're asking people to come together for the girls and donate their kilometers. But I think when it comes to being an ally, get educated. It's like, be aware of these things. It's an opportunity to speak up when you see something that's wrong, but also elevate the voices of others and be able to support those around you. I'm a big daddy's girl. (laughs) I love my dad and I hated baseball, but I love my dad. (laughs) But when I think about it is my dad had a lot to learn and unlearn. And I think it was cool that I got to pave the path for my sister. And it's not that my dad didn't support me, but I think he learned and he's still learning from me. So when I would see him driving my sister to soccer, cheering her on, getting involved, wanting to help her, like 
he saw that difference that that made. He's mm-hmm. still very proud of me right now. I'm turning 30 and I'm still his little girl. <laughs> so I, you know, I think as a dad, as a male or as a man, and especially as a white man, it, it's be educated. It's use your privilege to elevate others, but also to educate others. And there's so many ways that that looks like, but again, if it comes from an authentic place with yeah. good intentions, you can see that I can tell when people are faking it. Like yeah. I know, but I can also see when people really mean well. And I'm like, that is great that you are here with us mm. and supporting us, you know, sign up for our newsletters, share our stories, whatever you can yeah. do. I think anything goes a long way for us as an organization. Amazing. And just to wrap up, I was wondering if there was any story in particular that stands out for either of you of a girl who was especially impacted by a fast and female event or role model. There's been 20,000 girls through the program and so many that I've kept in touch with. I phoned up a 10 year old yesterday because her mom said Ava has some good news. So I got to call her and she got to tell me that she made the development team for her sport. Like I just miss the event so much and seeing people in person so much. But For a long time, a favorite story was a girl whose name we changed for the story to Anna, and she actually suffered neglect as a baby and was adopted when she was five years old into this nice family who brought her to fast and female events, but she had some physical and mental developmental delays. And she was 10 when she came to our events. And at that time, there's all the role models there with the girls, and she was just really far behind in anything we were doing. But this one role model, Zoe, stayed with her all day. And Anna had this experience that was like, I belong here and I'm awesome. Mm. She kept coming back to our events. She's now turning 16 and she's coaching. And she just is such an awesome story. And her mom would just send the most emotional things to us of like, wow, I can't believe what you gave her that she gets feel she she belongs here. So she's been really special to me for sure. The power of belonging. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing. Thank you so much for your time. And most of all, thank you for what you're doing for girls and women in sport. If we had daughters, they'd be involved too. (laughs) You guys as well with the podcast and so many amazing role models and Paralympians and just happy to be part of it and support and good luck with everything. Lowell, epic year and efforts. But yeah, we're just so grateful to be part of it. And everyone follow us at Fast and Velo for sure, because if you follow the newsletter and the socials, then you're the first to hear about the opportunities. Okay, perfect. That would mean a lot to us. Everyone listening, please follow. At Fast and Female on all the platforms. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And fastandfemale.com. Exactly. Yeah, there's a newsletter on there. And please sign up for our Real Role Model program, all self-identified women over the age of 18. We need you to join our network of role models and be available for events. When we have live events, they're going to be in your community someday in the future. And for now, everything virtual is accessible to you. So please check us out. Please join us. Please submit an application to be a real role model. Awesome. Let's spread the word. Amazing. Thank you for your time, everybody. <laughs> what a blast. Great job, Gabby. Thank you. Yeah, thank Thanks. you guys Thank both. you, Gabby. So <laughs> awesome care. to get you guys. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye. Chandra and Gabby of Fast and Female. That was a very special conversation. They are doing so much. My goodness. They're so smart. Yeah, listening to Gabby, her language, the way that she is really internalized this work that she's doing, it's an essence, it's a part of her. And it's really powerful that intersectionality, this idea that it's our social identities and different parts of identity, how they all come together and then how we can connect each other through that. So I could have listened to her on that a long time. I'm going to do a bit more research and look into this more. So she has definitely inspired me. Yeah. And 
I feel like, I mean, she's just continually growing. She's doing her master's right now in Toronto. She's doing a master's of science in the faculty of kinesiology and physical education. And her research focuses on the intersections of race, gender, and age, looking at the movement-based experiences of racialized women in Scarborough, Ontario, where she lives. So I'm so fascinated to see how her knowledge continues to impact the growth of Fast and Female. Mm -hmm. And the shifting of Fast and Female to include real role models. So everyday women who are passionate about sport, who are relatable, who are empowered, who are active, and those people who are leading in all sorts of different ways in their communities. So... (laughs) You know, when, when we do our YouTube binging of these athletes, one of the things I watched with Chandra, she was saying that she learned the difference between medals and models. And what these girls need are the models. They don't necessarily need the glitz and glimmer of a medal. Mm-hmm. And that came up at the beginning. The idea of being real about our experiences, the struggles with mental health, the struggles with bulimia, the struggles of having achieved greatness and gold medals, and then creating an organization to help empower and then to have your own struggles. Then when she was able to acknowledge it and speak about it, that it's not just glitz and glamour and gold medals, that it's about being real and having real emotions and real experiences and and having some obstacles to overcome. When she was able to acknowledge that and then speak that and do the work to get healthy, to recover, that now makes her even more of a role model. So her vulnerability mm. actually brings more people to feel close to her than, than yeah. the, the kind of glamour side that everything looks good. I agree 100%. She's obviously very driven. I love that she started Fast and Female before she even qualified for the Olympics. Amazing. We'll continue to support Fast and Female how we can amazing organization. Please follow them on all the social medias at Fast and Female and head to fastandfemale.com to check out what they're all about there or apply to be a real role model. I highly recommend it. I'm wearing my awesome t-shirt from them and my favorite earrings. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bonus there. (laughs) It was an awesome conversation. Grateful to have that opportunity. Hope that you had fun and enjoyed listening to this conversation that you can maybe take something away from this and apply it into your life. So thank you, Chandra, and to Gabby for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And during this season leading up to Tokyo 2021, we are focusing on the stories of athletes, Paralympic and able-bodied athletes. So if you or anybody you know fits that criteria, please hit us up, let us know. You can find us on social media at Julie Lolcan or at obsopspod that is o-b-s-o-p-s-p-o-d or you can find us at www.obstaclesandopportunities.com and reach out there awesome we've had so many conversations with so many incredible athletes and if you are listening on apple podcasts feel free to subscribe rate and review because word has it that's how it gets spread that's how other people can hear the stories of these amazing athletes so thank you so much for your support Until next time, take care. Catch you later. Bada boom, bada bing. Bye. Bye.